We're glad you're here. We're thankful that you've taken time to be out with us this morning. Earnestly contend for the faith. What does that mean? Well, I'm sure that some would say that the argument could be made that you are to stand up for the truth. That when someone is teaching something false, then you need to say something. And that you want to make sure that people know what is truth. But I believe that there's more involved with contending for the faith than just what we say. I believe that Jesus tells us what's really important in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. When He says that if any man will come after Me... Let him, take, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, when we're con uh, earnestly contending for the faith, it's not just what we say, but it's how we live. What we do in everyday life. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Jesus tells us that we're the salt of the earth. In verse 14, He tells us that we're the light of the world. And so if we're the light of the world, we're to reflect... Our Lord in our lives. People should be able to see that. And when they see that Christ is living in us because we're following Him, then Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's important that we live what we preach. It's important that we live according to the will of Christ. I've been talking about people sometimes redefine Jesus and make Jesus what they want Him to be. And therefore, they're following a false Jesus, a fake Jesus, as opposed to following the real Jesus. And not only do I believe that we can follow a fake Jesus, but I believe that we can be pretenders ourselves. That we can pretend that we're following Jesus. And we can do all the right things... But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing it with the right motive in our lives. You see, the Bible talks about hypocrites. In fact, Jesus called many, or called the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 14, verse 15, verse 23, verse 25, verse 27, and verse 29. He says, Ye scribes, ye Pharisees, ye hypocrites. In other words, they were pretending. Because a, a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that they are not. And it's easy for us to pretend that we're something that we're not. It's easy to pretend that we're a Christian. When in fact we're not living like a Christian should. We're not saying the right things. We're not doing the right things. We're not motivated by the right things. And so, let's make sure that we're not a pretender as opposed to being a contender. There was a survey that was given of why people don't go to church. And I think that you can see that in our country and in other places of the world, that church attendance is dropping. And one of the reasons that's given for that is there's too many hypocrites in the church. Now, that is no excuse for someone not to come to worship. Because we go to the grocery store and there's plenty of hypocrites there. And we go to the movies and we do a lot of other things where there's plenty of hypocrites there. But the church, we realize that, yeah, there are pretenders at church. There are people that claim to be Christians, but if you watch their life Monday through Saturday, or maybe even Sunday afternoon you would soon realize that they were just 
pretending. In another survey, when people were ranking the seriousness of sin, hypocrisy ranked above homosexuality and a few other sins that we talk about today. But think about hypocrisy. And most hypocrites don't really realize that they are hypocrites. I'm sure that if you ask the people that Jesus was talking to when He said, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, they would have said, we're not being hypocrites. They would have looked at themselves and they said, oh, we're doing everything that's right. But Jesus said that they were hypocrites. And in the days of Jesus, the Pharisees were condemned by John the Baptist and Jesus alike. And I'm sure that if you ask them, they would say that they were sincere, that they were honest, and that Jesus and John the Baptist had it all wrong because they weren't hypocrites. So, why wouldn't a hypocrite think that they're a hypocrite? Well, as I said, oftentimes hypocrites do the right things. They go to church. They give as they've been prospered. They may even teach a Bible class. They have all the right moves. And I think that when we look at the church at Corinth, we can see that there was a congregation of people that probably when you look at their life, they would say that we weren't hypocrites either. But Paul is calling them out. In Acts chapter 18, we can find there that Paul was preaching in Corinth. And in Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, we can find that many believed and were baptized. And so there was a church established in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was a very corrupt city. It was a very sinful city. And in Acts chapter 18 and verse 11, it tells us there that Paul tarried with them or stayed with them for a year and a half. And the church at Corinth had many special spiritual gifts. People could speak in tongues, they could prophesy, they could heal, they could do all kinds of things, and that was all necessary in the early part of the church because they didn't have the written Word of God. They didn't have the New Testament like you and I have. And as we know in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, that those, those uh, gifts would eventually vanish away. They would be done away with. Because we do have the written Word of God. But the church at Corinth had all the right moves. But they were also a church that had many of the wrong motives. We can read in, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians that the church at Corinth had problems with division. They had problems by taking people to court over trivial matters. In chapter 6, we can read about that. They had sexual immorality in chapter 5 that was going on. A man had his father's wife. Wasn't even named. That kind of a sin wasn't even mentioned among the Gentiles out in the world. And we can see in 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter that they abused the Lord's Supper. They did a lot of things that were wrong. They argued over their special gifts. 
prophecy, which which is more important, being able to prophesy or speak in tongues. And they were in danger of having all the right moves, but all the wrong motives. They were on the verge of becoming nothing but a congregation of hypocrites. When Jesus called the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites, I would imagine that some of us would start to think, well, they weren't following Jesus. And that's really my point this morning. That if we're not following the true Jesus, it's easy to be a hypocrite. We have to follow Jesus as He instructs us to follow Him. We're to take up our cross and follow Him. That means go where He wants us to go. Say what He wants us to say. Do what He wants us to do. Live like He wants us to live. And so Paul addresses that, the problem at Corinth. And if you have your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Because in chapters 12 through 14, Paul deals with the problems that they have. We're not going to look at all of those chapter verses, all three of those chapters. But Paul starts to point out one of the problems that they have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with them. For to one is given the Spirit of word, of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another uh, faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse tongues, kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is giving out all of these different gifts to different individuals. Some may have, may have had a couple, a few of these abilities. Others may have only had one. Some had none. Then in verse 11, but all of these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Paul is saying the Spirit has given this to different people. And they all have a purpose. There's a reason for all of these different individuals to do what they're doing. And it's, the comparison is made to the body, you know, where our body, our hands do something different than our feet, our feet do something than our, different than our legs. They all work together, though, to make this body function. And Paul is saying that all of these things are important because it makes the body of Christ function. Now remember what we said earlier, that in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, Paul tells us that some of those gifts, those gifts were going to be gone. They're going to vanish away. Why? Because they were to confirm the Word. That people needed to know the truth. And God revealed that truth through some of these miraculous ways. And so Paul begins to explain that all of their gifts enabled them to function as different parts of the body of Christ and that each gift had its place in the body of Christ. 
But then Paul tells them that in the grand scheme of these of things, those gifts aren't what's important. Look at verse twenty-nine through thirty. Paul says, "Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret?" Paul's asking these rhetorical questions, but all, the answer is definitely no. Of course not. And Paul is saying, if these gifts really are all that important, everyone would have them. But they weren't all that important because not everyone did have them. And then in verse 31, Paul says, what's most important? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Paul is saying all these things are, are, are important, but there are some things that are better. Those things are the ones that you need to covet. It's going to be a more excellent way. And in other words, let me tell you about the gifts that are really worth having. That's what Paul's saying. And then he starts talking about the right moves, the right motives. The things that they looked at as showy and impressive, Paul's going to show them what's really impressive. What's impressive to God. And that's what's going to be impressive to God for us today. You see, the behaviors that these Corinthians would really be impressed with was what he was going to be talking about in the next few verses. The qualities that we would expect to see in truly spiritual people. The qualities that you will have if you are following the true Jesus. If you are denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Him. Paul's going to tell us what we need to have in our lives. The actions that we see here that Paul's fixing to talk about it's like a gas gauge in your car. Everyone knows what that gas gauge means. When it's on empty, you don't have a lot of gas. When it's on full, you got a full tank. You know what that means. The behaviors and qualities that Paul describes is like that gas gauge. The more a person could do the things that make them more spiritual, the things that are more excellent. When you have those things and the more you have of it, the more full your tank is going to be. The more a person can do spiritual things when we have what Paul is going to describe for us. And so in chapter 13, Paul starts out with one of the most showy behaviors that the, that the Corinthians church was talking about. One of the things that they argued about. And so in the very first verse, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that's love, I am become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. Paul goes on, if you read further into chapter 14 and verse 18, Paul tells them that he could speak in tongues. And just so everyone knows, those tongues were languages that people could speak. But he could speak in more tongues than any of them. 
It's what he tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, chapter and verse 18. But what's really important, what's important to God is not the fact that you can speak in tongues in their particular case, but what was important was that their motive be because of love. That love was something that was more excellent. It was better. It sounds like someone's beating up or beating on a gong when you don't have the love that you should have. Imagine going to a concert with an orchestra. And they may be playing Beethoven or Mozart, and they're doing an excellent job. And you know, if you have a good, a good orchestra, it has all of the instruments that are needed. And they have gongs, and they have cymbals. But imagine that you've gone to a concert and you've listened to the, the orchestra play Mozart or Beethoven, and they do an excellent job. But then in the middle of the performance, they decide to have a special for the gong. And for 15 minutes, someone just sits up there and bam, boom. And they do that for 15 minutes. No other instruments play, just boom, over and over and over. That would get kind of annoying, wouldn't it? And then after that 15 minutes of gong, they have 15 more minutes of the cymbal section where everybody's just clanging them together, making a lot of noise. I think all of us would get annoyed at listening to that. And if all the early church was able to do was speak in tongues, and they had no love for other people, that's the way it would sound to the Lord. Annoying. If we don't have the love that we're supposed to, and we're saying all the right things, but we don't have the love to motivate us, then that's what we sound like to the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. You sound like a clanging cymbal, a noisemaker, a religious noisemaker. What these Corinthians brethren were saying was that they were more important to God because they could speak in tongues. And Paul said, no. That's not what's important. What's important is that you love like the Lord loves. Because if you don't have that love, you're just a noisemaker. Quit using your gifts in a way of measuring your spirituality against someone else. If you do that kind of stuff, you're showing that you really don't love anyone else but yourself. He goes on. He talks about the people that could prophesy. And he tells us in verse 1, or verse 2, But though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. I'm sure that there were some there that thought their gift of prophecy, being able to speak the Word of God, was important. And sure, that was important. 
But think about our own lives. We can tell people about the Word of God, but do we have the love for their soul? Do we have the love and concern for their, their salvation? Do they see that love or do they just see it as they're wanting to win an argument? And sometimes that's what we want to do. We want to win the argument and it doesn't matter about their soul. We're not concerned about their condition. All we care about is I'm going to be right and that's all that matters. Again, it gets back to being selfish. And Paul is saying you might think you know something special. But if you place yourself above others, you know nothing. You see, it's possible to know all kinds of things out of the Bible. And it's possible to have the purest doctrine and be the most righteous person in the world. But if those insights into Scripture make you feel that you're above others or better than someone else, what have you accomplished? If it makes you feel that we're so righteous and so pure, and we look down on others. Sort of like Simon the Pharisee that we studied in our Sunday morning class. Looked down at someone else. He was a good person. you know. He looked down at the woman that was washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying His feet with her hair. And he looked down at her and said, Oh, if Jesus would have known what type of person this was, He wouldn't even let her touch Him. Do we have that attitude sometimes? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. What Peter is saying is that person sitting next to you isn't perfect. They may believe that they're perfect, but it's not true. Because the Bible tells us we've all sinned. And John tells us if we say we have no sin, we make Him a liar and the truth is not in us. There's none of us perfect. And of all the people that we read about in the Bible, there was only one that was perfect. And that's our Lord. We all need a Savior. We all needed the blood of Christ to be shed for our sins. We all need what Christ can offer us. We can't buy it. We can't become more popular to get it. It's only available through submission to God's will. That's the only way that we can have it. To humble ourselves and to come into His presence. And when we obey the Gospel, when we're buried with our Lord in baptism, we come up out of that water sinless. Does that mean we're not going to sin no more? No. We will. And we need to realize that when we're dealing with other people that we're not perfect and they're not perfect, but we can help them and ourselves at the same time. The question is, do we love someone? You know, we may know the truth. We know what the Bible says. But do we have a love for their soul. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and come short of His glory. That would mean you, me, everyone. 
none of us are perfect. And you might find that person sitting next to you very annoying on occasion. But that's all right. Because you've got to love them anyways. Because that's what the Bible tells us. It's that love for each other that forms the bond that holds the church, the body of Christ, this congregation together. Without that love, no church will succeed for very long. It's important that we have it. And so Paul spent his time addressing those who could speak in tongues and those who could prophesy. And lastly, he has something to say about those who gave away everything that they own to feed the poor and even gave their body to be burned. But if you don't love people, if you don't love God's people, it would all be for nothing. It's possible to give money to the poor without loving them. Did you know that? People give money to people all the time. They don't care about them. They don't love them. And it's possible that we can be very giving, generous, that we could offer our body to be sacrificed, but yet if we don't have the love that we're supposed to have for each other, and the love that we're supposed to have for God, then what have we accomplished? It's nice to give money to the poor. It's noble to die for our faith. But if you don't love others, you've wasted your money and squandered your life. And that's what Paul's telling you. You've got all these spiritual gifts, but guess what? This is what's really important. And he goes on in chapter 13 and talks about faith, hope, and charity, which is the greatest of those three. Charity, love. Because someday our hope's going to be realized and we won't need to have faith because we will have realized it. We have seen it. You know, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We will have seen our Lord. We will have seen heaven. And that's where our goal is. But our love for our Lord will continue forever, for eternity. And so love is the thing that's most important. And so, yeah, there was a purpose for those things, uh, speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing. They all confirm the Word of God. But those things were going to go away. But while they existed in their time, they still needed to love each other. And if you don't love others, if you don't care about what happens to them, and if you're not willing to help them in their, in their daily struggles, and if you don't care whether they go to hell or not, then you're not following Jesus. The real Jesus. And if you don't care whether they're able to get closer to Jesus in their lives, you've missed the point. Because Jesus wants us to be like Him. And in our daily lives, we're seeking to save that which is lost. That we see people that need to hear the Gospel. 
And we're willing to share it with them. You can have all the right moves and end up with nothing. You can attend church every Sunday. You could be a Bible class teacher. You could give your money to help the poor. You could put all your money in the collection plate, but still be lost. In fact, you could even give your own life and still be lost. If you're not motivated by the right motive. You see, it's not what you can do. And it's not how much you know. And it's not about how generous or self-sacrificing you can be. It's about whether or not you've learned to love others like Jesus has loved others. And He gave Himself on the cross. Talk about giving your body to be burned. He gave His life on the cross. And what was His motive? His love for you and me. Is love important? It's what bonds us together. It's what bonds a family together. As long as there's love in that family, you can't pull them apart. But when they lose that love, that family starts to fall apart. The same is true with God's family. What really matters is how much you love Jesus and how much you show that love for others. And so I ask you this morning, are you truly following Jesus? Or are you a pretender? See, I don't know the answer to that. I only know the answer for me. You have to answer that for yourself. And you can put that mask on every Sunday morning and walk in here and come back Sunday night with it on and come back on Wednesday. And everybody thinks everything's okay. But God knows. And you know. Whether or not you're living like you should live as a Christian. Who are you following? This morning, if you're not a Christian... I mentioned Jesus died on the cross. Well, He did that so that we could have the forgiveness of sins, so we could have our sins washed away. He hung on that cross in pain and agony so that we could have our sins blotted out and remembered against us no more. But He tells us, and He has all the authority to tell us what we need to do in order to obtain that forgiveness. And He tells us that we have to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. Yes, belief is important, but belief also involves action. The faith without works is dead. James tells us that. And so we believe what Jesus teaches us, and so we want to be obedient to it. Do I love Him enough that I'm going to follow through and do what He's told me to do? So I'm turning away from my sin. Because we know in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, He tells me, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And He tells me that I have to confess Him before men. And so he tells us that in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. And so we turn away from our sin. We confess His name. But then we have to be buried with our Lord in baptism. Because it was the same Jesus that says repent. And it's the same Jesus that says confess. It's the same Jesus that says we have to be baptized. And that baptism is for the remission of sin. To have our sins washed away. So are you following the real Jesus? 
Are you a contender for what he teaches? By the life you live and the things that you say? Or are you a pretender? You are a pretender, then you need to change. And I suggest you do that sooner than later. Now's the perfect opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row and we'll help you any way that we can. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.